the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We're focusing in on the Garden of Gethsemane today and the encouragement that we find there in this dark moment in time. Join us, Abounding Grace, with Pastor Gary Wagner, coming up next. Again, greetings in Christ. Welcome to Abounding Grace from Reformed Heritage Church here in San Jose. We're continuing our survey of Luke, and today that survey takes us to chapter 22, verses 39 through 46. It's there that we see our elder brother, our Lord Christ, go into the Garden of Gethsemane. It is a dark time for him, yet there are the silver linings of the clouds that we so often look for. If We'll but just look. That's what we'll do today. Please join us. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's edition of Abounding Grace. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, your will be done, not mine. This cup torments. This cup tortures. This cup causes indescribable pain and agony without relief throughout all eternity. This cup separates you from God. The meaning of this cup can be no other than the fact that Christ finds the door of his father's house closed to him. Now Jesus is the lost son. More than anything like the prodigal, he would love to arise and go to his father's house, but his father is not waiting for him. The door to the house of heaven is closed to him. The judge has barred his access in our place so we can go boldly before God's throne of grace. Oh, terrible hour, said Shelter. The casting out of fear cannot take place. Christ cannot leap into God's loving, protecting arms. Hence the suffering. Hence is, is one whose nature desires to labor with God and for him. But his status is like that of the man of sorrow who opposes God and accomplishes the law of hell on earth. From this tension, Christ's suffering arises. That which is in his heart, his love for God, drives him to God. That which is on the outside, our sin draws him away from God, unquote. Now notice the three elements in Christ's prayer. What does he call God, even while the Father is receding? He calls him Father. Other gospel writers actually use the word Abba here. But Luke didn't because he's writing, if you remember, to a Greek audience and they wouldn't have known what that Aramaic word Abba meant. But Abba Father is what a child would call his father when he is in danger and when he is sick. And for Jesus to call God Father at this deep, dark moment of his life is to say that what Jesus desires and God's desires are absolutely one. What God wants to happen and what Jesus wants to happen are in perfect harmony. 
to call God Father or Abba at this point in his life is to express intense, fervent love. Deep trust that God is going to get him through it and submission to do whatever his Father wants to do. The petition, if I have to drink this cup, I will, is because Jesus knows he must satisfy God's justice. The cup of suffering must come to Jesus, not because of a relationship of love between the Father and the Son, but because of Jesus' agreement to be our mediator, that God's justice screams out that we be punished for the wages of sin is death. The Lord Jesus Christ steps in voluntarily. He agreed to do it from all eternity. If you remember last week, we talked about the covenant of redemption. He agreed from all eternity in a covenant with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit that he would step in between God's fury and his people and that he would satisfy God's judgment and satisfy God's broken law by bearing all of its penalties and all of its hell in himself in our place. And now we have those last words of his prayer, which should be an encouragement to us all. Nevertheless, thy will be done. What we agreed to do, what you sent me to do, Lord, before time began, it's now reached this very moment. I'm, I'm suffering, about to be betrayed and die and be buried. Because that is what you sent me to do. Even before the first Adam was even created. So I have come here to this day in the Garden of Gethsemane that was predestined before all eternity to begin the climax of my suffering that will mean the salvation of all of my people. Then notice what Luke tells us happened next in verse 43. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. Now, when you read that, you kind of draw a sigh of relief. Oh, that's great. Praise the Lord, there was an angel here comforting him. But as one man said, we don't know what weighed the heaviest on Jesus, the comfort in the disgrace or the disgrace in the comfort. That angel was a humiliation to him. Oh, it was a comfort to him, but it was a unique combination of comfort and humiliation. As a man, he needed the comfort of an angel. But here is the Son of God in human flesh being comforted by an angel, needing the strength of an angel. So as Schilder said, we don't know what weighed the heaviest on Jesus, the comfort of the angel gave in the midst of the disgrace or the disgrace of being comforted by an angel. To Jesus, the man, that angel's appearing was especially a cause of joy because that angel gave him what the disciples withheld from him, friendship in his last hours. This is a sharp and shameless contrast. Man had that to give which Jesus needed, support, and he did not give it. An angel gave what the disciples withheld. These men could have and should have watched with Jesus. Their watching and standing with him would have imparted strength to his human soul, which would have been an encouragement to him. 
But beloved, men have nothing to give Jesus. Nothing. So when Jesus saw that angel, I'm sure his spirit leapt for joy. But don't forget, the appearance of this angel was still part of his suffering. That angel represented an aggravation of Christ's suffering. That angel hurt Jesus grievously by strengthening him. Never was Jesus' poverty so drastically delineated, so irrefutably affirmed, affirmed as when the angel came to strengthen the Son of God. Furthermore, the suffering of Jesus is deepened by this strengthening, not just by having an angel there to comfort him, by the, but by the strengthening itself. Now, what do you think it means that an angel came, saw Jesus in agony, and strengthened him in his humanity? Christ's human strength was about exhausted. The angel came to him to give him the ability to endure the physical suffering and the death that was imminent. The angel sees to it, says Shilder, that the Son of Man has the strength of a lion, for only in that way can he die the death of a lamb. In other words, the angel came to strengthen Jesus physically to endure the physical sacrifice he would be experiencing over in the next hours. Now listen. This angel strengthened Jesus so he would not lapse into unconsciousness during his suffering and dying, so that to the very last he would be conscious and bearing the last measure of the eternal death our sins deserved. He strengthened him so he wouldn't pass out. Oh, wouldn't it have been a relief for him to have passed out in the midst of all of this? But he was strengthened so he would remain conscious and so his active obedience would keep pace with his passive obedience. That is, so that to the very end, while God was afflicting him with the hell that we deserved, he would be strengthened by this angel to love God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind while he was suffering at God's hand. Jesus was not allowed to be something that just, Jesus' suffering was not allowed to be something that just came upon him. His suffering had to remain his conscious and voluntary work. He had to be conscious so that he could volunteer in laying down his life as a sacrificial lamb. And that is what the angel was sent from heaven for Jesus to do. If you remember in the wilderness about three years earlier, angels actually came to Jesus and, came and kept him from hurting his feet against stones. Do you remember that? This angel comes to Gethsemane not to keep Jesus from hurting himself, but to keep Jesus from being hurt without feeling the pain. He had to experience the pain to the last. And we cannot appreciate half of the intensity of such suffering. Now that leads us to verse 44. And being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood. 
And in Greek, it actually says clots of blood falling down upon the ground. It is obvious that Jesus was in deep mental distress, but he had new physical strength. The angel had brought him a new strength so that he could endure right at the time when the agony of his struggle was at its highest pitch. The mind and the body of Jesus that were sinking lower and lower beneath the strain rallied powerfully so he could face the full horror of the curse and the wrath that was impending. That is why Jesus went on to pray more intensely and fervently in that crucial moment. He had been made stronger by this angel to face the horror that awaited him. The intensity of the struggle produced such physical reaction that the sweat of Jesus became bloody, as it were, clots of blood. The stress and the strain were so severe that tiny blood vessels of the skin ruptured and his blood mingled with his perspiration. Schilder said, the blood of Christ was driven out of him twice, first at Gethsemane and then at Golgotha. The first time at Gethsemane, the blood was expelled as sweat. The second time at Golgotha, the blood was forced out by wounds inflicted externally. Christ's blood was driven out of him in two ways. The way of an internal agony of soul and the way of an external physical affliction. Taken together, these two final and high points show us that Christ's blood is being demanded by the whole universe. Heaven draws it out. Hell drives it out. The earth forces it out. From every side, Christ's blood, which is the bearer of life, is being demanded of him. Why? Because he is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And without the shedding of his blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. At Gethsemane, he suffers as no man had suffered. At Gethsemane, no one touched him but God alone. Hence, at Gethsemane, his soul was sacrificed. His own soul sacrificed itself to God. At Gethsemane, he offered his soul to God as a sacrifice. As on Calvary, he sacrificed his body. When men require his blood at Golgotha, he allows them to take it. For he has subjected himself to their service. But before Jesus allows mankind to take his blood on the cross, he gives God the privilege in Gethsemane. In the final analysis, it is God alone who forced Christ's blood out of his pores in the garden of the olive press. The hour of sacrifice is not determined by grasping human hands. It was determined by the Father and the Son in God's own time. End quote. Isaiah 53 says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him. In the olive press of Gethsemane and on the cross, both. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. I think that is the thing Mel Gibson never understood. Do you remember what the distinguishing feature of the movie, The Passion, was? The brutality of the pain inflicted by man so that you could see a bloody person beyond recognition because of what man did to him. But the important thing about his death and the most painful and agonizing thing about his death it's not what man did to his body. It was what God did to his soul. 
and causing him to bear the full fury of his wrath in our place, fully conscious. The New Testament puts it this way. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Now remember, brethren, that God treated his son like this in Gethsemane, forcing bloody sweat. God used man on the cross, made him drink the full fury of the cup, because that is what it took to save sinners like you and me from our sins. That is what it took. And that is how horrendous your sins are. Now look at verses 45 and 46. And when he arose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping from sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Arise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now what do we see here? We see, first of all, something humiliating taking place. Here is Jesus, sweating drops of blood while his disciples are sleeping because they can't stand the weight of the sorrow. As Schilder said, here we see that Jesus Christ came to suffer and die for sleepers. And here you see Jesus' love and concern for his disciples' safety. The remarkable thing about these two verses is that in the midst of his unparalleled agony, Jesus comes to look after his vulnerable disciples. And I don't know about any of you, but when I'm sick or hurting, I want people to think and serve me. Here Jesus is facing an excruciating death, and he's thinking about his disciples. He goes to check on them and warn them, to tell them that they're going to fail in their struggle and be overwhelmed by the struggle if they are not spiritually awake and alert to face the sifting of their loyalties by Satan that will be coming their way in just a few hours. So now do you see why I said at the very beginning that these verses are so heavy? Let me now make a few conclusions. The measure of Jesus' agony at Gethsemane is the measure of man's sinfulness and of its disastrous and painful consequences. In other words, what do you see in the Garden of Gethsemane? You see what your sin and mine deserve, nothing less. The measure of Christ's agony in Gethsemane is the measuring of the suffering which Christ endured in bearing the wrath of God towards sinners. The immensity of Christ's agony in the Garden of Gethsemane is in direct proportion to the agony which unsaved men and women will face in hell when they drink the cup of God's wrath. Don't ever forget that, beloved. What Jesus experienced in Gethsemane is what every unbeliever experiences in hell throughout all eternity, packed into three days. My friends, you don't want to go to hell. And the only way you can keep from going to hell is by believing in the one who sweat great drops of blood in Gethsemane and died on Golgotha's cross and left an empty tomb that we, might live with him and worship him throughout all eternity. 
The measure of Christ's agony in Gethsemane is the measure of the love of God for sinners, which caused him to die that we might live. Now, I've tried to paint for you today with words that are very inadequate, an overwhelming picture of what Jesus experienced as the substitute for his people. He did it because he loves us. Please understand, no one forced him to do this. It says one way or another throughout the book of Luke that Christ set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem, almost as if he ran toward Gethsemane and Golgotha. He voluntarily pursued the agony of the cross that he experienced for us in Gethsemane and on Golgotha. He eagerly pursued it. He embraced it. That is how much he loves us. No one could keep him off that cross. No one could keep him from drinking the cup of God's wrath. That's how much he loves you and me who believe in him as our Lord and Savior. The story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane makes clear what Jesus did for the salvation of people and that he did it all alone. There's no cooperation in our salvation in any way, shape, or form. It's not that man does a little and Jesus does a little. Everything that was done to save men from their sins was done by Christ alone, and we contribute absolutely nothing. There is nothing we can achieve and nothing we deserve. Jesus paid it all. The suffering of Jesus is the test and the standard of all human suffering. If you think you have had to suffer for Jesus, quickly compare what he suffered for you. His suffering for us should surely silence any complaint for anything we have had to suffer or sacrifice, or give up for Him. Any suffering we experience in this world does not come near to approximate the eternity of His suffering for us. Beloved, learn here in this story the power of prayer. Notice what they prayed for and what prayer did for them. Prayer did not deliver Jesus from suffering. He didn't ask not to suffer. But it delivered him through the suffering. Prayer didn't deliver Jesus from the pain and the agony of suffering, but it supported him, protected him, and delivered him through that suffering. So often you and I pray that God might get us out of adversity rather than getting us through adversity. Prayer is actually one of God's primary provisions for our endurance and our perseverance. And what Jesus said to his apostles that day applies to us. Pray that you will not fall into temptation. And how do we normally pray? Lead us not even into temptation, but deliver us completely from all evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And because of that, Lord, I don't deserve any trials. Beloved, Jesus is the only one who never deserved one ounce of wrath or one moment of trial. And yet for our sake, 
He suffered what none of us can come close to comprehend, even go through. And how dare we complain when something just simply doesn't go our way. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date, and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.